So in the last couple of messages, um, been talking about happiness and how that connects to things like obedience, being obedient to the mission that Jesus has given us, um, how it connects to holiness, and I personally have found that understanding these connections has been incredibly liberating and um, helpful, and I just continue to be very grateful to God for using Pastor John Piper to help me see these connections. The reality is you and I want to be happy. No matter how much we might try to fight it or deny it, that's just real. We want to be happy, and God wants us to be holy and to glorify him. And today I want to show you how those two desires, our desire for happiness and God's desire that we be holy, how those two things come together in the connection we call worship. We're going to look at a conversation Jesus had with a woman who wasn't either happy or holy. Uh, God was not being glorified in her life, and she was not being satisfied in her life. But then Jesus came to change all that. So we're in the book of John in the New Testament, the fourth of the four biographies we have of Jesus. Uh, John chapter 4. There is a note sheet in your folder that you can use to follow along and take notes. Gospel of John chapter 4, beginning at verse 5. So he, that is Jesus, came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. That means noon. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? So Jesus had actually crossed a couple of cultural boundaries by asking her for a drink. The boundary, cultural boundary between men and women and the, the bigger cultural boundary between Jews and Samaritans, for we're told Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? She doubts it. He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, 
you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. (laughs) The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. (laughs) Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem, you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming. He is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I, who speak to you, am He. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? There are two thirsty people in this story with two different kinds of thirst. Jesus is thirsty for water. So he asked this woman for a drink. I'm not sure he ever gets it. Uh, Because what soon becomes the main topic is her thirst. And it's a very different thirst. It's a much deeper thirst. And this is a thirst you and I also have. We all do. Though we may not recognize it, and we may not have any idea of how to satisfy it. This woman didn't know. But Jesus is about to change that, and he uses, he's going to use his thirst for water to engage her in conversation about her thirst for something else. And by listening into their conversation, we learn something massively important we learn that only real worship can satisfy our God-shaped thirst. Only real worship can satisfy our God-shaped thirst. Let's, Let's see here what Jesus, what is he seeking to accomplish in the life of this woman and ultimately in our lives as well? What's he after? Well, the first thing we can say he's after is he wants to satisfy spiritual thirst. He wants to satisfy spiritual thirst. That's why he moves the conversation from physical water to what he calls living water. He says whoever drinks this living water will will not be thirsty forever, eternally. And he says this water will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What in the world is he talking about? He's talking about a thirst for God. A thirst for God. Jeremiah 2.13. I suspect Jesus had this passage in mind when he was talking to her. God says through the prophet Jeremiah, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, 
the spring of living water and have dug their own cisterns, tanks in the ground, pits in the ground that are built to hold water. They don't produce water. They're not a well, but just to hold water. But they're broken cisterns, God says, that cannot hold water. So notice, God is the spring of living water who can satisfy the deepest thirst. That's the water Jesus is talking about, though the woman does not get that at first. She's like, dude, you don't have a bucket. Where are you getting this water? I don't understand. Jesus knows we are thirsty. He knows. He knows we have a deep longing for satisfaction in our souls. He knows that about us. So what are we thirsty for? Well, on one level, you could say we're thirsty for several things. For one thing, we're thirsty for love. Unconditional love. We all, every single one of us, we long to be accepted and valued for who we are, just who we are. We want the security of knowing there's somebody who loves us regardless of our ability to perform or achieve or impress. We want somebody who's going to keep on loving us no matter what. We all want that. That's part of our thirst. We're also thirsty for meaning. We want to know that we matter. We want to know that it makes a difference that we're alive, that we exist. We want our lives to count, to be, to be significant. And we're thirsty for something else. We're thirsty for greatness. And by that I mean something great to admire. Something to fill us with a sense of awe and, and beauty. We long to celebrate something magnificent. You and I, we want something that delights us. We want something that we can look at and it causes us to say, yes, that's awesome. I love that. See, that's why we do things like cheer for athletes. You know, watch football games or whatever athletic competition you're into. That's why we enjoy epic movies. That's why... You know, we admire people who do great things or things we think are great, and then we turn them into celebrities and we slap their pictures all over magazines because we want, we want to admire greatness. So, we long to be loved, we long to be significant, and we long to be awestruck. Or, to use another word, we want to worship We all do. We want to worship. We're all thirsty. And this thirst motivates just about everything we do. And Jesus knows that what we're really thirsty for is God. That's what we're really thirsty for. God is the spring of living water who alone can quench that deep thirst in our souls. That thirst for love, 
that thirst for meaning, that thirst for greatness. It's a God-sized thirst. Now, before we move on, just think about this for a minute. Think about the fact that Jesus cares about this woman's thirst. He really cares that she's thirsty. He cares about her need. In spite of the fact that she's, you know, a little hostile, a little arrogant, and her life's a total train wreck, Jesus looks beyond all that. He looks past all of her junk, and he sees her thirst. And he wants to lead her to the spring of living water so that she will be satisfied beyond anything she has ever experienced. Think about that. Do you know, do you know that Jesus cares about your thirst? Do you know that about him? Do you know that he wants you to be satisfied? That he wants you to be happy forever? He really does. So many people think and act like God wants to ruin their lives. You know, they, they don't want to give him control because they don't trust him. They think, yeah, if I, if I give Jesus control of my life, he'll just make my life miserable. People think, we, we think we know better. We've got a better plan for how to be truly happy. We've got a better plan for how to be truly satisfied. But sooner or later, all of our plans for pursuing satisfaction come up short. They always do. They always do. Jesus wants you to be truly satisfied. So he wants to satisfy spiritual thirst. But there's more. There's more that he's after. Jesus also wants to make true worshipers. He wants to make true worshipers. So right in the middle of this conversation about thirst and living water, a woman tries to change the subject because it's starting to get a little awkward. Jesus starts showing that he knows all about her personal life, and that's, that's really uncomfortable. And so she figures, okay, this guy's got to be a prophet or something. There's no way he could know all this. Uh, so I know if he's a prophet, that means he's a spiritual guy. Let's talk about worship. So she asks him for his thoughts on worship. Now, doesn't that seem like a, a totally different subject? Doesn't worship seem like a different topic than spiritual thirst? Well, it turns out um, it's really not. And Jesus is just as eager to help this woman become a true worshiper as he is to satisfy her spiritual thirst. He says the Father seeks true worshipers. Do not miss that. Don't miss that. God is a seeking God. He is a pursuing God. Jesus said he came to seek 
and save the lost. He says the Father seeks true worshipers. He takes the initiative. He pursues. We just have to respond. The Father seeks true worshipers. Jesus seeks and saves the lost. He's the one. He's pursuing. If you've never responded to his pursuit, know that about him. The reason you are here today is that he is pursuing you. He wants real worshipers. Okay, well, what's real worship? Well, Jesus says that contrary to what the woman thought, it isn't about where you worship, it's how and it's whom. How and whom. Now, the answer to how is we worship in spirit. That's true worship, to worship in spirit. In other words, from the heart. Now, the Bible talks about a lot of outward forms of worship. So it talks about uh, bowing down and kneeling or praying or singing, or giving, or weeping, or clapping hands. Did you know that's in the Bible, actually? Some of you. Playing musical instruments. Okay, so there's all these outward acts that the Bible describes as acts of worship. But here's the thing. If it's only outward, if it's only an outward act, and your heart is not engaged... That is, if there's no spirit in it, then it's not real. It doesn't qualify as real worship. So worship in spirit. And then the answer to whom is, this is what he means by worship in truth. In other words, you need to worship the true God, the God who is real. And Jesus had to point this out to the woman. He said, you worship what you don't know. Because the Samaritans had rejected most of God's word, of what he had revealed about himself, who he is. We need to worship the real God, the God who made us, the God who revealed himself to us in his word and most completely in the person of Jesus. Uh, John 1.18. So this is talking about when Jesus came into the world, and it says this. Look at it carefully. No one has ever seen God, but... God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. That's talking about Jesus. He's made him known. Jesus came so we could know the real God, the God who's real. There are a lot of fake gods out there. Jesus came so we could know the real God. So real worship, real worship is a real heart response to the God who is real. Now, this is where it gets really cool. Okay, so watch what Jesus is doing here. All right, he's doing two things. He's seeking to turn non-worshippers into genuine worshipers. And he's seeking to satisfy their spiritual thirst. And both of these things are really one thing. Because when we realize who God really is, and we realize how awesome he is, 
and we respond to him from the heart in genuine worship, in all those expressions of worship that I mentioned, what happens? Our God-sized thirst for love, for significance, for greatness, our God-sized thirst gets satisfied and God gets glorified. Those two thirsts or those two uh, things Jesus is accomplishing or seeking are really one thing. And he came to make this happen. That's why he came. That's what he means when he said, an hour is coming and has now come. John chapter 17. This, this is just, you know, same book, a few chapters later. Jesus prays this. He says, Father, the hour has come. What hour is he talking about? The hour for him to go to the cross. The time for him to die for the sins that separate us from God, that keep us from being true worshipers, that keep us from experiencing true heart satisfaction. Jesus came to take that on himself so that we could become genuine worshipers who experience genuine soul satisfaction. That's why he came. That's what he came to do. Okay, so he came to satisfy spiritual thirst. He came to seek true worshipers. If, if those things are going to be accomplished, there's one more thing. There's one other thing he seeks to do. Jesus wants to rescue from false worship. He wants to rescue us from false worship. Now, <laughs> I said the woman tried to change the subject. She thought, well, this is getting uncomfortable. Let's change the subject and talk about worship. Jesus is like, sure, let's do that. And, yeah, wh why? Okay, it's a dumb question. Why did she, why did she try to change the subject? Because Jesus brought up the issue. He says, go, call your husband and come here. Oh, that's awkward. Why did he do that? Did he know she would rather not talk about that? Yeah, he totally knows. She doesn't want to talk about it. Why in the world would he intentionally try to make her uncomfortable? Why? <laughs> don't, ever, don't ever think Jesus will never take you in some place that feels uncomfortable. That is a total myth. What does her issue with men have to do with satisfying her spiritual thirst and making her a true worshiper? It has everything to do with it. Everything. Remember Jeremiah 2? Instead of going to God, the spring of living water, to satisfy our God-sized thirst, what do we do? We, we look for satisfaction elsewhere. We go and we dig uh, broken cisterns, tank in the ground. that can't even hold water, okay? So you just have to picture this. How dumb is this? Sin is so dumb. 
We, we think it's just like, yeah, I'm going to be happier doing it. It's so stupid. We're, we're, we are literally looking at this spring of living water. Just picture this beautiful spring bubbling forth, clear, clean, ice cold water, and it's 100 degrees out, and you're just thirsty, and it's there. And you think, nah, I think I'll dig a hole in the ground and catch some runoff. Mmm. And what's so dumb is that hole doesn't, it not only doesn't produce water, it can't even hold it. For this woman, men were her broken cistern. Look how she says to the people of the town, I love this, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Really? All? All he said was, yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five. The guy you're living with now is not your husband. And to her, that summed up her whole life. It was her whole life. She kept looking to men to satisfy her thirst for unconditional love and acceptance, and significance, and security, she figured, if I just find the right guy, he's out there somewhere. If I can just find the right guy, then I'll be happy. Men were her broken sister. And so, Jesus, in order to satisfy her spiritual thirst, has to turn her away from her broken cistern and point her to the spring of living water that alone can satisfy her thirst. Her problem isn't that she's not worshiping God. The problem is she's worshiping something else instead. And we all do that. We all worship something. The human heart is wired to worship. God made your heart want to worship. And worship means... To attribute ultimate worth to something and admire it. That's worshiping. And we all do that. Even the most hardcore atheist does that. We just worship different things. And if you want to know what it is that you worship, just ask yourself some questions. What is most valuable to you? What's most valuable to you? What, what do you seek your deepest satisfaction in? What do you pursue to satisfy your, your deep longings for love, for greatness, for significance? Or let's say it another way. Here's another way to think about it. Tim Keller points this out in his book on idolatry. He says, what is it in your life what is it in your life that if you lost it, life would hardly seem worth living? Whatever it is that delights you most, whatever it is that satisfies you most, whatever it is that gives your life the most meaning, that's what you worship. And that's why even as believers in Jesus, when we come into a relationship with him, part of following him is every day repenting of what we're prone 
to pursue and worship above him. It's a daily thing. This woman was seeking God-sized satisfaction in a husband, in a relationship that she hoped would give her the security and the love she longed for. People do that all the time. You might be doing that. You might be doing that. You might be looking to a person, another person, to provide you, you know, whether it's a, a friend, boyfriend, girlfriend, your spouse, even a child, to give you that significance, to give you that unconditional love, that they'll love you no matter what, to be that something great that will fill the void in your life, it doesn't work. Because people can't fill that void for you. They can't. Neither can money or success or possessions or power or sexual pleasure or music or video games or movies or sports. Nothing else can fill that void for you. Why? Because it's too big. It's not that those things are bad. In fact, most of those are good things. But the hole's too big. The void is too big. It's God-sized. And if you're trying to fill it with something else, you know what you're doing? You're not asking God to fill it. And if you don't ask God to fill it, it will never be filled. You were made to worship God. He alone, he alone is great enough and big enough to satisfy your longing for unconditional love, your thirst for awe and beauty, your thirst for meaning, a meaning that's big enough to live for and even die for. He alone will love you no matter what, regardless of your ability to perform. God-sized satisfaction can only come from God. And Jesus, listen carefully. I'm as serious as I can be when I say this. Jesus is the only one who can bring it to you. Because he alone bridges the gap. That's why he came. That's why he lived. That's why he died. That's why he rose from the dead to bridge the gap that we might become true worshipers, we might turn away from our broken cisterns, and we might drink deeply of the fountain of living water and be satisfied. Because, see, we've all dishonored him countless times by looking at him, the spring of living water, and, and preferring a muddy hole in the ground. We've dishonored him. And we've harmed ourselves and we've harmed other people. You realize that if you try to find God-sized satisfaction in someone else, you will destroy that relationship. If you say to them, you, you, be the one who loves me no matter what. You, you, be the one who makes my life significant. You, you, be the one that's great, that's awesome. Nobody can live up to that. They can't possibly bear the weight. If you do that, you'll crush them. You'll ruin your relationship. And we've all dishonored God by seeking God-sized satisfaction in other things, in other people. 
that Jesus willingly experienced. See, we deserve to be separated from him forever because we've said, I don't want you. And justice is okay. But Jesus willingly experienced the separation that we deserve when he went to the cross so that our God-sized thirst can be satisfied. We've just got to turn away from our broken cisterns, whatever they are, and realize Jesus is who we're really thirsty for. Now, I just want to make one quick clarification. All right. Because sometimes people misunderstand. They hear that, well, okay, God alone can satisfy our God-sized thirst, so I don't need anybody else in my life. I don't need other relationships. No, that's not true. Because it's God who said it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good to be alone. Uh, so when we say, like we just sang, Jesus is enough, that's true in the sense that Jesus and all that he, give, he, he provides, all that we need, all that we need is in him. But don't misunderstand that and say, okay, I... I can be completely isolated. I don't need other relationships. No, you do. The problem is not wanting other relationships. The problem is trying to find God-sized satisfaction in those relationships. Trying to find a love that's unconditional, a significance that's eternal, and a greatness that is truly awesome. You are thirsty for those things, and God alone can satisfy that thirst, and he wants you to come to him. He invites you to come to him in the person of Jesus. Really? Yes. John seven thirty seven. Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes. So you see, coming to him and drinking is a picture of trusting him, relying on him, coming to him, believing in him. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Look at this. Look what he says. If anyone is thirsty, isn't that amazing? He doesn't say if you're good enough. He doesn't say if you're worthy. He doesn't say if you've cleaned your act up. He says if you're thirsty. That's his only qualification. Your need. That's the only thing you have to offer him is your need, your thirst. And he says, and I will satisfy it. Come to me the way a thirsty person goes to a spring of living water. Are you thirsty? Do you know that what you're thirsty for is God? Where are you going? Where will you go to satisfy your thirst? Let's pray together.
Lord Jesus, I, I love how you are able to just pull away the curtains, the, blow away the fog, the cobwebs, all of the stuff that just keeps us from really seeing the issue. Lord, we've got a thousand excuses for why we look for satisfaction somewhere else. And every time we do, we're wrong. And you care about that because you want our thirst to be satisfied. So, would you please, by your Spirit, help us To know that you are the, the fountain, the spring of living water. And help us to understand that you're the one we're thirsty for. And you invite us to come. I pray if anybody here has yet to take that first step to say, yes, Jesus, you are the spring. And I've dishonored you by drinking elsewhere. But I want to come to you and I want to drink from you. I want to believe in you. I want to rely on you. Lord, will you please, will you please help them come to you today? And will you help all of us who have taken that first step, help us to keep coming to you and stop looking at the cisterns of this world, the cisterns that we dig and thinking somehow that's a better idea. God, open our eyes to the folly of pursuing ultimate joy anywhere else. God, may we only try to satisfy our God-sized thirst in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.